Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. In case you didn't hear already, my name is Spencer. I lead our youth minister here at South Suburban. I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, And I just want to say something real quick before we get into things. Um, Those of you who prayed for us, um, we took a team to Northern Cheyenne Reservation two weeks ago on our annual mission trip up there. Um, And God did an incredible work, not only through our students, but in our students. Um, And I just know that that's only because of God's spirit moving, and that's only because you guys prayed for us. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who supported us and lifted us up. It was the best trip I've ever been on up there, and I know that that has a lot to do with you guys. So I just want to say thank you off the bat. Um, every message um, has kind of its own flavor, so to speak. Like some, some speak to the mind, some speak to the heart, some to the spirit. Um, and this morning, I just wanted to say at the start, this message is going to be um, geared for our minds more than anything. Um, it's going to bring a lot of new ideas that maybe you've never heard before, and I pray that it challenges you, but that it also lifts you up and encourages you. Um, And so, like, put your thinking cap on, get your pen out, get your Bible ready to go. Uh, We're going to be going through a lot of stuff. Um, The challenge for me is I feel like this could be its own series, just today's message. We're going to cover a lot of stuff. Um, If you feel like, hey, I wish you had explained this more, so do I. Um, But my, My prayer is that it makes sense enough to be a blessing to you, a blessing to your family, um, and your life. So with that aside, aside, let's, uh, let's pray and invite God's spirit into this time. Father, thank you for um, today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for you. And thank you for your kingdom, God, that we get to be a part of. And I just pray as we go through this time, Lord, that we catch a vision of your kingdom, God, and that that would lift this church into a, and the people in this room into a new kind of life. And so we offer this to you in Jesus' name. Everybody said... What do you do? What do you do? This is a question almost all of us ask in social settings when we meet someone. Hi, my name is Spencer. I'm a blah, blah, blah. What do you do? Some people think we shouldn't ask this question because it objectifies who we are into just what we do for work and that that demeans us. I would argue that what we do, the reason we ask that question, says, not just says a lot about us, but is a massive part of our life, our legacy, um, and every part of who we are. It says something about us. We're in a series on worship, and it's been great to step back in the last couple of weeks, take a look at all of what that word means, right? The broad, encompassing nature of worship. But did you know Um, that if you were really dedicated, we might say, okay, maybe an hour every day, seven days a week to to Bible reading, to prayer, church attendance, small groups, I mean, spiritual stuff, church stuff. If you did an hour literally every single day of your life, most of us would say, that's pretty solid, yes? Like, I, I know for me, I'd be proud of myself if I never took a day off and I was an hour every day. If that's you, you're still spending less than 5% of your week doing things spiritual, so to speak. So what about the other 95% of our life? What does God have to say about that? Well, that's what I'm here to talk about this morning. And disclaimer to those of you who are either retired or full-time parents, all of this talk about work and calling does apply to you. And we'll talk about that later. But to begin answering that question, I wanna start where we often do, which is back at the beginning, okay? That first few chapters at the beginning of the story that tell us so much about who God is and 
who we are. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 1, verse 26. If not, it's going to be on the screens for you to follow along. Genesis 1, 26. This is God speaking, and he says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Who here is familiar with Jeff Foxworthy? Some of us, most of us. You remember the old, uh, I mean, he's got a lot of great jokes. There's one about going to the, the county fair, the state fair, and after about an hour or two of seeing who else showed up for the crazy party, you look at the family you came with and you go, you know, we're really not all that bad after all. Context, context matters, right? We view things differently in different contexts. To truly understand some of what's going on in this Genesis account of creation, right, we've got to understand the context because the scriptures did not just appear. They were written in a time and a place. And almost every culture, especially ancient cultures, had their own version of the creation story. There's hundreds of them out there, so many creation myths and stories. And while they're all a little bit different, there's something interesting that almost all of them have in common, which is that the world was created, and especially humans were created by whatever deities these nations had for the purpose of being a labor force. Humanity is created amongst all these other creatures in order to make life better for these gods or the god or whatever, whoever's up there who don't want to work and now they don't have to. Humans work for them and sacrifice and make offerings to them to make their life better because work in these worldviews and almost every culture on earth is reserved for those on the bottom of the ladder. The higher up the ladder you go of politics and power, the less work you have to do because gods don't work. They're on eternal vacation, right? Which sounds nice. Because even now today, work is something that we only do kind of because we have to, right? But something that always amazes me about, about the scriptures is how much uh, of them like is hidden in plain sight, right? There's so much just sitting right in front of you. Um, and something that I had read right over until I started studying for this message and never thought about before is this fact, is that God works. In the Bible, the God that we believe in, the creator God, he's actually a working God. He works. We, don't have, we didn't have space to put the entire creation account up on slides, but God is the one doing the work of creating life, creating the world, doing everything in it. And this concept would have been totally revolutionary to the people who read it uh, about 5,000 years ago when we think it was written. And that's not all. God doesn't just create, but God creates us, human beings, not to be his labor force, to make his life easier, but to be his partners, to work with him, okay? This is our job description, so to speak, from the very next verse. Genesis 1, 28 says this. And God blessed them, and God said to them, these are the first human beings, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, rule it, have dominion over it. That language, right, if you, the first two verses we read, dominion is all over that. Dominion is here again in the word subdue. They're very similar in Hebrew. The fact is that you and I were created not to just be a labor force, to just work and just be grunts and then make sacrifices to gods to make their lives better. We were made to rule, to have dominion, to have authority over this earth as God's representatives. Do you guys see the difference there? That instead of just being cogs in a machine that just work, 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 work seven days a week, 
which is what most human cultures have done, we were created by God to be his representative, to extend his rule and his dominion over this earth. Okay, the descriptions of Eden, which is right after this passage in Genesis 2, which again, something I never really noticed before, it's full of descriptions of raw materials. It's not full of descriptions of a perfectly finished world that they just get to enjoy. It's full of raw materials because you and I were created to pull out the potential of this world. It talks about the abundance of wood, fruit, water, gold, herbs, and spices. God made a world that was teeming with potential, and he created us to bring that potential into its fullness, right, through cultures and economies and nations and work. If you're taking notes this morning, the first thing on your sheet is this. You and I were created to work because God works. That may not sound like a big idea, but trust me, in most cultures in human history, the idea that God works is, is blasphemy. It's unheard of. But our God is different, okay? Now, one of the greatest misconceptions in our world today, and especially in church world, is that work is a kind of necessary evil, yes? It's something that we have to do, but not something we want to do, and it's definitely not something we do worshipfully. At best, it's a way for us to support our family, spend some time with them, maybe retire if we're lucky. But what if work is way more than that? According to the scriptures, work is not something that came as a result of sin, as a result of being put in a fallen world, but work is actually part of God's original design for us. Work was, believe it or not, made to be a good thing. You and I were put on this earth to draw out the potential that it has to create a world full of culture. God says, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. Don't abuse it, but have dominion over it because it's full of potential. The idea in Genesis 2, right, it's not that we're just here for our own good. We're here to create a world of flourishing and fruitfulness because God is good and we're extended to extend his rule of goodness over this earth. This earth. This is why we were made and this is what it means to bear his image as his rulers and his representatives, okay? And all of us are made to do it in our own unique way and I wish I had more time to discuss what it means to be called a theology of calling, but the bottom line is every single one of us in this room, every single human being has a unique set of passions, skills, and settings that combine to form a calling. And that word has often meant called is something that only applies to people who work in churches, who plant, who are missionaries. Calling is something that is, is applicable to every human being. You have a calling. Your job on earth is not just to work and make a paycheck and give it away so that you can be part of a spiritual thing. You have a calling. You are way more than a paycheck, way more than just a volunteer. You have a calling in life, and the 95% of your life that's not spent here or doing spiritual stuff, that matters. You and I were, believe it or not, made for work. Work is a blessing to us, or it should be. We'll get into that in a few minutes, okay? to create culture, to create economies, nations, homes, and music, and art, and clothing, and furniture, and food. Praise God. Everything that makes this world what it is, right? All of those things are spiritual because every one of them reflects what God is like, and God has called us to do that. All of us in a different way because of our different passions and strengths. I'm not a chef, but I really appreciate those who are, okay? Because that is art right there. 
But if you're a business owner, for example, right, you can do business in a way that contributes to human flourishing, that reflects God's goodness and reign over the earth. Or you can do business in a way that cheapens the value of other people, takes away from the goodness in the world, and elevates greed and selfishness, right? One of those options brings glory to God in a worshipful way, and one contributes to the elephant in the room that we have yet to talk about, which is this. Work stinks sometimes, does it not? Yes? I mean, most of the time, work is a lot less like this fulfilling calling and more just like a purgatory we're waiting to escape, right? Has anyone here ever worked in food service before? Okay, most of us, maybe when we were young. I spent three years in college making sandwiches for people on campus, and it wasn't terrible, but it was close, One of my students who recently graduated, he's worked in food service for six years. He's a manager at a fast food chain. He says this, this is his opinion. He said, anyone who works long-term in food service is either incredible at loving people or they're legitimately crazy. (laughs) Or retail, right? I can't imagine personally for who I am a much worse place to work than in the mall during the holiday season, especially the week after Christmas, okay? That sounds like purgatory to me. So how in the world does work like that supposed to be good and life-giving and world-shaping, okay? Well, unfortunately, as many of you know, for all the hope and vision and potential of what God created in the Genesis account, what he did in the beginning, right? After Genesis 2, there's always Genesis chapter 3. No matter how fast I flip the page or how much I pray, it's always right there, right after Genesis 2. I can't get it to, to go away. And most of you should be familiar with it, right? And if you're not, read it. It will change the way you view the world. But the bottom line is in our ancestors, instead of allowing God, instead of being God's representatives and following him to be his rulers and his kingdom makers in his image, we rebelled and said, no, we're going to do it our way instead. And so God, who was good but is also just, placed a curse on us and on our world, right? The two main elements of what it means to be human, to be fruitful and to rule over the earth, and God made them painful and difficult. This is what it says in Genesis 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And to Adam, he said, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. No longer, and this should not be a surprise to most of us, is it pure delight to fill the earth, to have dominion over it, to raise families and make children Now it's joy that's mixed with pain and with struggle and with strife. No longer are our efforts to tame the earth, to draw out its potential, um, to work for the glory of God like running with the wind at our back. Now it's like running uphill into a stiff breeze on on an icy day. This is what the Bible calls toil. This is a really important word this morning. Work and toil are very, very different. Work does not always contribute to human flourishing anymore. Often it's not satisfying, and if it is, it's pretty short-lived. Work today has become a means of oppression, of injustice, of destruction of the earth, destruction of the world's poor. If work covers our expenses and allows us to retire and spend time with our families, then it's tolerable. But for the most part, our experience at work is a lot more, or is a lot less than joyful, okay? And that's a totally legitimate feeling, but you have to understand that that is not the whole story. If you're taking notes this morning, 
from beginning to end in the Bible, work is not a curse. Toil is. Work itself is not a curse, but toil is. And there is such a difference. Work is what we were made for. We were given giftings and callings and passions and talents to partner with God in creating a more beautiful and a more fruitful world in our own way, according to our individual calling. Toil is being forced to miss Christmas Day with your family because your boss needs you to come in and watch the cash register. Toil is staring at Excel spreadsheets day after day after day, feeling more like a machine with HR needs than a creative being with hopes and dreams. Toil is what most human beings alive today endure by working hand-to-mouth in whatever kind of work they can find just to survive. Things have fallen a long way from what they were originally meant to be. But that's also not the end of the story, praise God. So let's turn to the actual end of the story to get another picture on what God's trying to do in this world right now. So if you have your Bible, turn to Revelation 21, second to last chapter in the entire Bible. It'll be on the screens in a minute if you don't have one with you. Um, I will preface by saying this. What I'm about to say, what we're about to go through, it may be new to a lot of you. Um, It may not line up with your thoughts. It may not line up with what you've heard before. Um, And I just want us to remember that there can be, hopefully not, but there can be a difference between God's word and our interpretation of God's word. Okay, one of those is eternal and perfect and unchanging. And one of those sometimes is about as reliable as the nightly weather forecast. So um, we wanna bring those things into alignment whenever we can. That's my hope this morning, but this may be a surprise to you, um, but I hope it blesses you. So when we look at the end of the age that we live in now, in the scriptures, right? Not just in Revelation, but other passages that talk about the end of this age, um, Believe it or not, we actually don't read anything about people going to heaven. There are actually very few hints in the Bible about what happens to us immediately when we pass on from this life. Now, to be sure, believers in Jesus are promised to be in the presence of God immediately and eternally. But how and when and where is actually really murky. What may surprise you is that what happens after that that's actually the focus of most of what the biblical authors are writing about. Scholar N.T. Wright calls it this. He says, life after, life after death. That's the focus of most of the Bible, believe it or not, even though our culture does not agree with that. So I'm gonna read a little bit from a couple of passages that talk about this because I think it's really going to inform the way that you and I work and live and worship. So I want you to listen as if you've never heard them before and try and see what is this picture that God is painting of heaven? What is that like? Okay, so the first one, we're already there. Revelation 21 verses one through three says this. This is the author John describing a vision he had. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, which is what we have right now, had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned, For her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. Do you notice that God is the one who comes to us, not the other way around? Let's look at another passage from the Old Testament. Isaiah 65, starting in verse 17, says this. This is God speaking. He says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new 
earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Verse 21, Look at, listen to how earthly this picture of heaven is. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain. Does not say they shall not labor. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord. The Bible does not talk about a heaven that is in the clouds, full of singing and floating around and eternal leisure. What they do talk about is a new heaven and a new earth, a renewal of all things, a reset button on this earth that wipes away all evil and sin and death and vain and vanity and toil for eternity so that things can be put back to what they were supposed to be from the beginning because God is in the business of renewal and redemption. God is not gonna take this world that we're in, roll it up and throw it in the trash can and start over. God is going to make new what we're in right now. If you're taking notes, heaven is not an eternal vacation, but it's instead redeemed work and rest for eternity. Now, if you see that and you go, well, vacation sounds a lot better. Um, I kind of agree with you um, because it's summertime. I'm thinking about vacation a lot. I would like to not be working um, as probably most of us would be, but um, work and rest is what we were made for. Toil is not. Toil forever is torture, okay? But sitting on a cloud, singing and playing a harp for eternity, that also sounds like a punishment, okay? That sounds so boring. Like, that does not sound good at all. But a world that's very earthy, where I get to practice a trade, right? Where work and rest are as they were meant to be, right? Free from futility, frustration, dissatisfaction. Like, never, never again imagine this world, the word work-life balance ever matter because we will finally be in the perfect harmony and the perfect plan and design of our good God. Can you imagine that? The promises heaven we get from Jesus is not that we get to escape the world that we're in and spend forever just sitting around on an eternal vacation, right? The promise is that human life as we know it today, work, family, rest, discovery, culture, music, food, and art. They don't get thrown away. They get redeemed. Because when Jesus returns, he will inaugurate heaven and his eternal rule over it right here on earth. The plan from the beginning for us to carry out God's rule and his reign, we failed, but Jesus came to make it right, to start over. And Jesus is coming again to do it all once and for all. Church, we do not go to heaven for eternity. Heaven comes here. And the occupation has already begun. Matthew 4, 17, this is my favorite pastor. Jesus, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That phrase at hand in Hebrew, which is, or Aramaic, doesn't matter, whatever Jesus spoke, means right here. It means it's, it's here at our feet. It's right in front of us. Because when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he came not just by himself. He broke the kingdom of God into this world. And that's what you and I get to be a part of. Because if our future 
Think about this, is a removal from this earth, from all things earthly, right? Then it makes sense to spend as little time and energy as possible in our culture, in our world, in our jobs, in our careers, and instead just pursue spiritual things. But if the coming kingdom of God, as we're promised in scripture, is going to be a very real flesh and blood, dirt under your fingernails place, full of commerce and innovation and romantic dinners and walks on the beach, then our lives in the here and now should not be marked by escapism, but by occupation. Because the church, believe it or not, you and me, we're an occupying force in this world to take ground for God's kingdom in every area of life. We are not called to be removed and to escape and leave it behind and let it burn. That is not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is to go in and be my agents of redemption in every area, in your work, in your families, in every trade, in every skill, to bring glory to God, to worship with the 95% of our lives that are not spent doing church stuff because work matters. And the kingdom of God is so much bigger than I think a lot of us have imagined. Our faith is not about just holding our breath, right, until we get to leave this world behind forever. It's about occupying this world as agents of God's kingdom. So when you go make a sale or when you take someone's order or you deliver a package or design a new product or lead your kids one step closer to the person that God made them to be, you are living a life of worship if you're doing it in service to our God and you're doing it to reclaim God's good world that has been corrupted Okay, our job description as human beings, all human beings, fill the earth and subdue it, to work for the flourishing of humanity in the world we live in. But our job description as believers in Jesus is to bring the kingdom of God to bear on every aspect of life that we're a part of. Every aspect of life. His goal is for the church, you and I and the two billion or so other people who are alive right now who bow the knee to Jesus as king is to retake the world for him and for his glory in expectant hope of the day that he comes and sets all things right and makes all things new. Okay, we're to declare both with our words and with every meeting we hold, with every car we detail, every dish we wash, every diaper we change, that God is good and Jesus is king. And so as we wrap up this morning, what does that mean for you sitting in your chair right now? First question I'd ask you is this, are you pursuing your calling? And for most of us, this question may be more directed towards your efforts than towards your place of employment or your situation. Are you pursuing the job that you've been placed in or the situation in life that you've been set in with passion and determination in a way that makes people stop and say, man, there is something different about her or him? Are you lifting up the name of Jesus and making him known by the way that you work? Because working for God's glory does not just mean slapping a fish sticker on your bumper and playing Christian radio in the office, okay? Are you pursuing excellence in what you do for the glory of God? Are you working for the Lord out of the joy knowing that you have to earn nothing from him anymore because of what Jesus has done? Now you just get to enjoy him, to work with him, Work hard, have integrity. That is more and more becoming a value that we do not share with this culture. Pursue excellence for his sake. 
And for some of you, maybe 1% of you in this room today, I don't know, maybe God is saying, hey, like, maybe you need to look at a new career or a new job. Because I think a lot of us have bought hook, line, and sinker the line that just says, man, you are all you're worth, all you can get in this life is a cubicle, a steady paycheck, and two weeks vacation. And God has so much more for you than that. You are more than just that. Second question is this, are you taking ground for the kingdom of God Monday through Saturday? Or in other words, are you worshiping with the 95% of your life that is not church-related? And I want to talk to two groups specifically on this um, because we've already, this whole message is kind of around this idea. The first group is this, those of you in here who are retired, okay, if you're in that camp, you may have spent a lot of this morning wishing you'd heard this a couple of decades ago. But I want to make something perfectly clear. Just because you do not draw a paycheck from a regular job anymore does not mean that God is done with you. If anything, you of all people have hopefully found by this point what your calling is, what you were made for, what you can offer this world, and now that you're not tied to a regular job and you're not raising kids, you have the potential to give as much or more than anybody. Do not believe this idea that the only thing that lies before you is the longest vacation you've ever had, okay? I'm 27. That sounds really nice right now. But that's not gonna satisfy How can you bless others in this season of your life? How can you contribute to human flourishing, to the renewal of all things, to the inbreaking kingdom of God in Denver, Colorado? Okay, this culture says when you retire, you finally get to live for yourself. Do what you want when you want. And there is nothing wrong with enjoying the fruits of your labor. But if Jesus knows what he's talking about, and I think he does, a life that's focused solely inwards, not only robs you of your ability to influence and help other people, it's also the most unsatisfying way to live. How can you bless others in this season of your life? Second, those of you right now who are full-time parents, mom, dad, maybe grandma and grandpa, work is not just the kind of work that shows up on a 1040 form every spring. If you have committed the majority of your waking hours to developing the incredible potential hidden inside every human being, whether it's one, two, three, four, however many kids God has blessed you with, you are doing an incredibly valuable work. Pastor Andy Stanley says this. He says, the greatest legacy you leave behind may not be something you do. It may be someone you raise. Do not believe the lie of this culture that you are selling yourself short if you choose to make raising kids your full-time occupation. You are making an impact on the kingdom of God as great or greater than those of us who show up at the office and work eight or nine or 10 hours a day. And finally, I wanna close by talking about something that applies to every single one of us in every single season of life we find ourselves in, and it's found in Matthew chapter 20. Verse 25 says this. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You and I 
because we bear the image of the creator God have the potential for greatness in us. And while most of us may not be considered the best in the world at our craft or our skill or trade, all of us can approach our life trying to be the best in the world at being like that, being a servant, being like our God. According to Jesus, greatness is service. And all of us are qualified for that right now. So whether you have the best job in the world, or you clean floors and bathrooms after everyone else has already gone home, you can approach each and every day of your life with a servant's heart. You can volunteer at the library. You can cut hair, write that novel you've been working on. Take your kids to the playground, all with the goal and intention of serving, making other people's lives better than yourself. It's this attitude and heart change that allows us to go to work like everyone else, but also not go to work like everyone else to have something different about us, about the way we work, the way we serve, the way we live, that people see us go, there is something different. And there is. Because you and I have the spirit of God in us and we're bringing God's kingdom to bear on this world. It's in this way that each and every one of us can play our small part in showing the world what God is like every day in letting his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because that is what worship is all about. You matter and your work matters. God has called you to something great with the majority of your life. You are not a paycheck. You're a child of God who has a role to play in a calling that is so important. My prayer for us is that we would approach every single day of our lives, no matter how menial our job is, with an attitude that says, this matters, this is worship for God, and this makes a difference. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for, for, for how good you are, Lord, that your goodness is not just intangible spiritual stuff, but it's real. That our future looks like, looks like this, but better, Lord. That we can have a future to look forward to one day, Lord. We can go outside and play with our kids, Lord, and there will be nothing bad about it, nothing to worry about, nothing to watch out for. Lord, that we can work and have it be fruitful and joyful and rest and have it be satisfying. Lord, that you've promised us an eternity of that an unending discovery and joy and work and figuring out who we are in our calling, Lord, and exploring that. Thank you for having such a good promise for us that you paid for with your life on the cross. And I pray as we go from this place and get ready to reflect on this word, Lord, that you will give us a new spirit as we step into our day-to-day life, Lord, that we would approach it as worship unto you. So Father, I lift this up. Thank you for who you are. And I just pray, God, that you'd start to bring freedom to those of us who feel stuck, those of us who feel trapped. Lord, that there is purpose, that there is meaning, that there is calling in everything that we do. Would you speak to those of us in this room today who are struggling with that? Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your hope. Thank you for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.